surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello and Happy New Year. I am Taylor Nolan, joined by my wonderful co-host Kit Bender, and you are listening to Let's Talk About It. Thank you guys for all your feedback and for tuning in episode after episode. We are keeping up with your reviews on iTunes. We're tweeting with you. We just actually started our Instagram account, Let's Talk About It underscore podcast, and are chatting with you guys on Instagram now. So Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So it isn't just a new year, but it is also a new season of The Bachelor. And I was on last season. And so watching this season is a little bit different than any of the other years that I've watched the show. So we debated whether or not we wanted to talk about The Bachelor on this podcast and decided we will. And we'll talk about it in a little bit of a different way than most other places. You know, we're not really going to recap the episode. We're going to kind of talk about some key points that were brought up in the episode or things that I feel like really kind of stood out to me. And we kind of wanted to make this episode focused around anxiety. Anxiety is something that I imagine that the girls approaching The Bachelor for the first time are feeling more than they've ever felt in their entire life, possibly. You experience some pretty high levels of anxiety before you go on The Bachelor. A hundred percent. Was it worse actually seeing him for the first time or was it worse like preparing for it, like being in the limo on the way up? Like is the, the, the mental adjustment to a, what you're about to do worse than actually going through it? So I'll tell you the worst part. The worst part is the waiting. So it's, it's all the anticipation and the buildup to it. And so I actually have a surprise for you. Kit loves surprises. <laughs> I love them. Do I get it now? Do I get it now? I think, I think now is a good uh, segue into it. Yeah. Okay. Where, where are you feeling this anxiety, Kit? I'm feeling it in the sweatiness of my hands. I really don't know what you're about to do, so... Okay. <laughs> I'm not laughing at your anxiety. I just know that it will not be anything that you will have necessarily a strong reaction towards. So, oh. trust me. So, I'm not going to be the next Bachelor. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm That's... so sorry to break the news. <laughs> okay. All right. That's actually kind of a relief because I don't think I'm quite ready for that. Hashtag Kit for Bachelor. So, oh, no. <laughs> so the the entire journey, the journey of being on The Bachelor, I journaled every day, multiple mm. times a day, and I even journaled leading up to the first night. So. As this premiere was coming up, I just kept thinking back to those first few days because, you know, you you fly down a few days ahead of time and you're like in a hotel and, you know, you don't have your phone, you don't have a laptop, you're like totally cut off from, you know, any kind of social support. And then you just kind of like sit in your hotel for like two, three days. <laughs> uh, you know, you have some interviews and, you know, hang out with producers and stuff, but it's a lot of waiting. So I did a bunch of journaling during that time and wanted to kind of share some of some of my journal just kind of on the day of. Oh, okay. This is good. This is a good surprise. I'm happy with this. <laughs> Where's your level of anxiety at now? It's dropped way, way down. I thought you were going to okay. like ask me weird questions or something and I was not, not going to be ready. No, no. Perfect. Okay. We just get to hear your inner thoughts, which is always curious. Okay. Are you ready? It's really not that exciting. <laughs> there's, there was a, there's like two, three pages leading up to the first day, but I'm just going to read a little excerpt from 
the first day. This is day one, like the no, day. No, this that... is like leaving the hotel. Oh, leaving the hotel, like even before any shooting or anything. Yeah, I was in the hotel for three days before actually filming. So this excerpt that I'm going to read is the morning before we started filming. And it's, and it's in different sections. Like I'd start journaling and then, you know, someone would come in my room and then we'd talk and, or I'd go for an interview or I'd go for makeup. They're all kind of spread out. All right. Today is the day. Be your authentic self. You are wonderful. I'm feeling very emotional, very stuffy, and very nervous. I'm trying to have faith that this will be a great experience. My nerves are starting to get the best of me, and I have to get grounded. I look beautiful. I'm a beautiful person inside and out. If this doesn't work with him, I will be okay. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Nonstop waiting. It is making me so anxious. I want to throw up. I should call my mom. Something familiar might help. I'm so thankful for having my producer throughout this process. His support really helps. This is seriously the craziest thing I've ever done. I've been on stages before. I've modeled in public. I've gone on many dates. I've completed my bachelor's and my master's. I can do this. Red wine vinaigrette on my red dress. Of course. Why not? Fuck me. This is a blessing in disguise, though. Time will pass, and I will actually have something legitimate to worry about. Just a few hours before it's time to go. LOL. Of course. So I was late uh, going down to the, the limo because right before I was supposed to leave, I spilled salad dressing on my dress. Really? Yep. <laughs> I was a hot mess. <laughs> was it like a, an accident or one of those like anxiety-induced accidents where you just, you, it was a lot of pent-up energy and then... No, it, it was exactly that because I didn't need to clean up my room at all, but I was like, I need something to do. So I started cleaning everything up and I was like, oh yeah, let me like take this messy, messy salad bowl outside of my door and grab the salad <laughs> dressing and it just went all over and I was like... <gasps> But they had, oh, no. <laughs> they had wardrobe come down and like fixed it and it was totally fine. But yeah, I was late like getting in the limo because of that. And the girls were already anxious to go as well. So it was like, you know, we're all so anxious. And then like now this girl's going to make us wait even longer because she spilled dressing on herself. Like really? <laughs> right, right. That's your first impression to a whole group of the contestants yeah. that you're going to be with for the next yeah. few weeks. So, yep. wow. But I'm happy to say that some of the girls in that limo actually are very close friends now. Uh, I was in a limo with Raven, Vanessa, uh, Corinne, and Angela. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a good group. There is so much anxiety going into that first night. Like, you don't know what parts are going to be shown. Like, that's kind of the first glimpse into what people's storylines are going to be. And you have no control over that. You know, you go and you have the experience. And then after that, <laughs> it's out of your control. <laughs> And that was something I really had to sit with was like, you know, am I going to be able to just like sit back and like be comfortable and be able to own everything that happened the first night? And like, again, there's only so much I can say, but not everything always looks how you experienced it. And that part can be really weird to process. And it's weird because when you watch people on TV that you don't know, it's it's very much like these are just characters on TV. And it's super easy to just totally forget that they are actual human beings. And even being someone who was in that experience, I still caught myself like very easily like judging them and like talking about how they looked. And I think that some of that's fine to do, but it's a whole other, other thing to like put it out there on social media and like tweet it out or like to go comment on their Facebook photos or their Instagram like... There's a line. And you know this because you experienced people crossing that line with you, like having some opinion enter into their brain, which is fine, but then feeling the need to share it with you one way or the other. Yeah. And, and with other girls, you know, I mean, you see it kind of every season, you know, people will say some pretty terrible things about people and it kind of takes us back to that humanitis episode, episode two, where, yeah, okay, she might've said something a little stupid or, you know, she might've came across this certain way, but 
also remember like she's just a human just like any of us and we might she might not be someone that we would decide to be friends with in real life and that's okay but that doesn't mean she's a terrible person and should have all this hate on social media you know or someone just tearing apart how she looks it's one thing again like to share with your friends and like to talk about as you watch the episode but like no one needs to hear that stuff again think about it would you say this to the person's face or not if you wouldn't say to their face probably shouldn't tweet it right but I think reality television is is written and produced and presented with the intention of getting reactions out of people. So on, on one hand, it's really important to recognize the humanness of the people that are there. But the way that they are being presented and because of the nature of reality television, on purpose, they're trying to get some reaction out of the fan base. So we, it's like it's both of those things. Yeah. And I mean, like you see, you know, at the end, the girls are crying because they're going home. And it's like immediately that first judgment voice in you is like, oh, my God, why are you crying? Like, really? You know what? She's crying because she is exhausted. Okay. Right. <laughs> like she is crying because right. she is so tired and like just so like embarrassed and like feeling silly and like not knowing what the hell she just experienced again remember these are all like normal girls like you who is listening to this it's not it's very rare that like you have a jordan rogers or someone who is already used to being in the spotlight or has been on tv before like for most of the girls on the show it's their first time ever being on any kind of television set or even talking to a producer. All of that creates its own anxiety, just being in a new environment. One of the biggest parts of dealing with anxiety is like, how do you deal with your environment? And how do you, how do you cope with change? And going on The Bachelor <laughs> is like a very extreme, unique, controlled setting. Can you compare the feeling that you had, the, just that, that anxiousness, to any other thing in your life before or after it was there? Is there anything that's like even in the same category? Not that I can think of. Because I knew, I knew if I was going through with this, that this was going to change my life in ways that I couldn't even had like imagined at that time you think about it going into it like I thought about the anxiety of it I thought about like you know this is tv like what but then when you're actually there you think that yes because you know you're introduced to all the cameras and everything that it feels really obvious that you're on tv but it so isn't it just becomes this a new normal and it feels like it feels like a totally different universe that you're in. So you don't think about, oh, this is going to really change my life. And how is this going to play out outside of being here? Like I couldn't process that when I was in it, only going into it and coming out of it. But there's so much anxiety that I experienced both beforehand, during and afterwards, and, you know, anxiety is a topic that we get a lot of emails about, and we'll answer some of those in the episode today, but it's also probably something we'll discuss throughout covering this season of the show, because it 100% was the toughest experience of anxiety and a bunch of other things for me. Yeah, I imagine you are really entering a completely alternate reality of way of living. One thing that I always found super hard was... Being on the show as a therapist, I was constantly judged against that framework and some really negative things were said like, oh, I think the mental health counselor needs some mental health counseling. Okay, thanks. Um, I already do and so should you. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> uh, like right. That's not a negative thing, but good job for trying to make it one. Trying to make a slam, but it's just like, um, yeah, I do actually. So yeah. get in line. They do also like provide those services on the show. I personally didn't use that until I got back home with my therapist, but my levels of anxiety were very, very different pre and post show. And a lot of that came from this notion of control. And that is where I'll experience the most anxiety is when I feel like I'm not in control of something. 
I don't know where, where you would say you feel the most anxiety kit. I don't know. I feel like you have like a very kind of set routine. And I don't know if you ever experience anxiety when like that routine is changing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm in front of people a lot as a performer. So there's a lot of my day-to-day performing routine that I, I don't really get too anxious about because I, I, I know what I'm doing. It's a, but it's usually when it's in a familiar setting, it's a place I know that I'm going to be able to do my thing and it's going to be good. I'm not worried about anything in that, in that sense. But it's whenever I'm doing a show where I am uh, presenting new music or trying uh, an instrument that I'm not as comfortable with or a song that I, uh, or a style or something like that where there's a whole bunch of new factors. And then I, you know, no matter how many times I've been on stage, when there's new factors, there's still always that part of me that's just, uh-oh, there's things that I'm, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to nail and I get nervous. I agree with you. And I think that there's a way to use that. You can use those jittery nerves to put towards the energy of actually performing. Also, having those jittery nerves is a sign that I am pushing the boundaries of what I'm comfortable that you're alive yeah it's good to have you know a thing that you can do you're like i'm gonna walk on stage and i'm gonna nail this but it's also good to have times i think as often as possible where you're like i'm gonna nail it i think but there's a couple things that i gotta really think about because I'm, i'm really pushing myself here and that's i think that's really really healthy to do to to put yourself on that edge because then you know clearer what you have control over and what you don't have control over. And maybe instead of waiting for that one big thing that could change everything in, in all those little things, you're like, okay, I have control over this and somebody really confident with it. I don't have control over this. So I'm going to do my best. And then even if I'm a little anxious, try not to overthink mm-hmm. what could go wrong. I kind of hear some of my voice in a journal that i read earlier still from the days before going on the show that maybe I will share now of things that like I had control over things I didn't have control over just kind of like the anxiety of going into it feeling like I think I have I I think I have this I think I think I can do this I think I won't be terrible at this so this was a day before it still hasn't sunk in that I'm meeting Nick tomorrow and having the weirdest first date of my life I'm trying to not let the lack of sunlight, fresh air, physical activity, and overall socializing get to me. (laughs) I don't do well crammed in hotel rooms. (laughs) Those are like really important things of like not being anxious, like getting some fresh air. I literally, I lied and I was like, I need a smoke break. And they were like, you smoke? And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I smoke cigarettes (laughs) and I need to go outside for a smoke break. (laughs) So they like took me outside and then they were like, do you need to like grab your cigarettes or something? I was like, I'm good, actually. I'm good. (laughs) And then they realized they were like, you don't smoke, Taylor. You just wanted to come outside. And I was like, yes. And when I asked to just come outside, you wouldn't let me. So I had to lie and say I smoked. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like such an obvious lie because they're like, don't you need cigarettes? And you're like, uh... They're I'm like, oh, I'm cigarettes. good. They're like in my pocket <laughs> that I don't have. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, you're a great liar, a great liar. So I'm sure they were just, yeah. just, they fell for it 100%. Exactly. Yep. I'm going to continue the journal. I'm trying to be appreciative of everything production is preparing for us, but it isn't the easiest of adjustments. I'm ready for it to just be here, but I'm also trying to just absorb this alone time, which was also just me trying to like, cope with anxiety through practicing gratitude, which is not easy to do because sometimes when you're anxious, your mind goes down through this like black hole of just these negative thoughts and all these worries and all these fears that come up. And it's like, how could you possibly like look at something positive or be grateful for this thing? Because this thing could maybe harm me or maybe I don't know what this thing is. So I was trying to just really focus on like, this is going to be a positive experience. Like production's working really hard. Like there's so many people, so many people involved in this production that I was just blown away. And like everyone was super friendly and everyone's like very nice. So I was always just, that PA was really nice to take me outside for my fake cigarette break. I'm really grateful for that. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. So I said, I just want it to be here already. I also can't wait to eat regular food. I'm super tired of this shitty hotel food. (laughs) (laughs) I had some gratitude in there. Okay. You're going to be great. I keep hearing that. It feels like pressure. I think they all think it's going to go so well and he will like me so much. And then I'm going to think he's super wonderful. And that terrifies me. Like, I hope I do like him. And I hope he does like me. It would be incredibly fucking insane if he and I actually connected and established like a real relationship together. What a fucking trip. I think I have to just remain open-minded, authentic, and be vulnerable. I have to stay true to my feelings and my thoughts. I have to stay open with them too. And be assertive in my pursuit for creating a relationship with him given that I do actually like him. It is kind of fascinating uh, to hear it because it sounds very train of thought that you Mm -hmm. were writing almost as fast as you could think. Yeah. It's very scribbly. (laughs) Right. But But I think that's really, really great because those are very, very natural thoughts. All of those things that you'd even have on, for some people, just a a regular first date. Yeah. Uh, Willie likes me, blah, 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 blah. That potentially endless cycle of things Mm -hmm. going through your head. But because you weren't able to distract yourself with anything, you had to just sit with those thoughts. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Normally that's what you would do. But you had to to just write it out. And so I, I think it's great that we have that little like snapshot in time of of your brain not through any social media filters or anything like that just like right where you were because i think a lot of people will hear that including myself and think yeah i i've thought most of those things at some point for whatever reason and when i go back and look at this i mean again granted like the journals that i just shared are very different from the journals that i write in like everyday life but I'm very proud of myself looking back that I was going in with this mindset of, I hope he likes me. Granted that I like him too. Because if I don't like him, then I don't really care if he likes me or not. And I very much tried to go in with this stern, it's a two-way street, dude. And watching the (laughs) premiere tonight... So many of the girls, and I don't know if it's because he is like a race car driver, so it's got already got this whole theme behind it of competition and sports and racing, but so many of the girls in their interviews, they referred to the other girls as competition, that the competition is like really tough, that like they weren't expecting the competition to be so strong, and I was like, no, no, you guys are not each other's competition. Another girl mentioned (laughs) that that girl is like, really impressive you know like she did a lot to impress him like I need to you know step up my game and like how I impress him and it's like no like you guys both it's a two-way street what is he going to do to impress you aside from just being the bachelor he's also just a normal dude that you're just now meeting I hope you're not going out on every date like oh I need to impress him I can't wait to figure out what I'm gonna do to impress him see if you guys have a connection have a normal conversation. And I hear the anxiety in their voices because when they're talking about, oh my goodness, the competition, the competition, that's all coming from, from a place of anxiety and fear that they're not good enough. Right, because they immediately they're looking around and they're ranking themselves, mm-hmm. even if it's subconsciously, on this scale mm-hmm. of, of beauty and of talent and of likability and of <laughs> how pretty their dresses or whatever that's i think normal it's so normal that we got a letter uh that i think actually brings up kind of a combination of these points yeah we do the letter says hi i'm 16 years old living with on and off anxiety depending on the situation i'm in love that you're doing a podcast about mental health and just have a few questions i get anxiety about how i'm perceived by others and new situations i hate change what are ways you cope or help this and do you have any advice for just a girl in high school with anxiety love you oh that was a sweet letter that also kind of hurts my heart a little bit yeah i I also really kind of love that she said she's living on and off with anxiety depending on the situation you're in isn't that all of us that is all of us. I think that could be the first sentence of, of basically every person, if we're honest. Hi, yeah. I live with on and off anxiety, depending on the situation. Right. Good. Yeah, and, and you're 16. You're 16. That's, that's a time full of a whole lot of changes. 
a whole lot of uncomfortable situations and a whole lot of anxiety that's like very normal to experience, especially at that age. So I like that she just points out two very specific triggers for her. Those are how she's perceived by others and also new situations or just change in general. You use the word the word trigger, and it's a really important word. She's identifying the anxiety, but the trigger is what is actually creating that anxiety. The trigger is what lets you know, sets off an alarm that like, oh, I'm feeling something. That made me feel something. And then she's actually able to identify that it's anxiety. But the the two triggers, the being perceived by others in the new situations, 100% are shown through in the premiere of The Bachelor too. So as far disconnected as everyone may think they are when they watch the show, <laughs> right? they very much are experiencing similar things that your typical girl in high school is struggling with. It may seem like right. an extreme parallel, but I hope it makes sense. On those two topics, I think while we all do have this, this tendency to or, and potential to feel anxious about how we're perceived. I think it's important to remember that I think people care less than we think they do. I think that the chatter in our brain of how much someone really cares if you say exactly the right thing or look exactly the right way, there's some really loud voices that might be in your head. But in general, I think people care less than you think they do about, about you know, every little thing. And I think on the second point... It's important to remember that change is a constant. And so learning to have a relationship with change and an understanding that every day you wake up is a new day and it's going to be, it's going to be changed from the day before. And that can actually provide just as much of a blank canvas for you to make intentional changes in your life as it does for uh, creating potential anxiety because it's not the same as it was. So change is a normal thing that we need to learn to have a relationship yeah, with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also on, on her first point of how she's perceived by others, one way that I dealt with that in terms of my experience on the show was the spotlight effect. And I actually hadn't heard of this uh, before the show and the producer I was really close with when the show started airing, I was super anxious and I kept thinking that everything that happened on the show, everyone saw every little bit of everything I did and every shot I was shown and every word I said. I mean, hopefully, maybe if one of the girls is listening to this or gets a hold of this, that like they maybe can relate to this and know that they're not alone in this. But almost every girl experiences a very similar thing where you have this spotlight effect thinking that the spotlight is 100% on you and everyone is paying attention to you. And that is more often than not, <laughs> not the case. <laughs> uh, not the case, no. People really don't pay attention. <laughs> you know, the things that like I noticed about myself, I would maybe get one comment out of a hundred that would bring that up. And it's again, it's, it's more in your head. You're noticing more of those things about yourself than other people are. And also to that, I would also say you are not a jackass whisperer. If someone doesn't <laughs> like you, if someone doesn't like the things you do, if someone perceives you in a, in a negative way, it is not your duty to change who you are to please other people. You don't owe anything to anyone but to be yourself. And if, if someone doesn't like you, then that's not a person for you. you. You don't need to please everyone and not everyone needs to like you. And that's a very hard lesson I learned on the show. <laughs> you can be very confident with yourself and feel like you're in a good place and you can just be who you are. And still, not everyone will like you. And and that's still fine. That doesn't mean that there's necessarily anything wrong with you. If it's like something that you're actually interested in examining, maybe try to take an objective look at it and, you know, do some interpersonal self-development work on that. But also don't, don't let that make you feel like you are less than because you're not. You're just you. 
I, uh, I'm remembering a quote that says, never explain yourself to anyone because the ones who like you would not need it and the ones who dislike you wouldn't believe it. Yeah, on the money, Kit. <laughs> I like that. You got to do what you do and the people that, that are going to get it are going to go, oh, they're doing what they do and the people that don't, sometimes there's, sometimes there's a middle ground and they'll say, what are you doing? And you can explain, but a lot of times if they don't get it, you can just say, well, okay. You don't get it. That's fine. Yeah. And to her second point of being in new situations and hating change, uh, I totally agree with you on the same page there where change is the only constant in our lives. And I can totally see where she's coming from being 16 in high school. There is a lot of routine there. You know, you are waking up, you know, every day, same time. You're getting the bus on time. You have the same classes. Like, you know what your day is going to look like. You kind of know what you're doing. And that gives you a sense of comfort and can very much ease any anxiety that you have. But not only is change still inevitable in high school, but then also when you transition from high school to college, which is where a lot of young adults for the first time experience like severe anxiety and even depression, there is so much change there. And going on the show for me was a very, very new situation (laughs) and a very weird one. And I tried to really encourage and support myself in my self-talk that this change could be a positive one. And even if there was pain or struggle in this change, that through struggle comes strength. And you may not be okay now, and you may not be okay tomorrow, but that that's okay because eventually you'll be okay. And that not being okay is just temporary. And the more you resist it, the more it persists. So leaning into that discomfort of change of saying, you know, I don't know, I'm trying to think (laughs) I'm in high school and, um, (laughs) my, uh, (laughs) I went to first period and I thought we were going to be covering Scarlet Letter and instead we are covering Star Wars and (laughs) that might give me a lot of anxiety and I might be like what the heck Mrs. Smith I thought we were coming in here and I thought we were gonna be coming Scarlet Letter and like I don't know anything about Star Wars and oh my god this means I'm gonna fail and oh my god and just like a spiral of thoughts but there's a way to look at that and say okay this makes me feel really anxious I'm not sure I know what I'm doing here, but I can learn. Maybe the fact that we're learning about Star Wars today instead of the Scarlet Letter is an opportunity for growth. And it's so uncomfortable and I say it and I know it's not easy to practice. And I know you might be listening and like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. I don't know how I'm actually going to do that. But sometimes it's literally something you have to say out loud. I remember being on the show, talking with the lead, and he was asking me questions that I felt so uncomfortable answering and literally saying to him, all of this is really different and it makes me feel so uncomfortable. And I'm trying to lean into that discomfort, but I don't want to right now. You told that to him just like as part of the interview? (laughs) No, as part of like us hanging out. It was uh, at the pool party. (laughs) And yeah, I was asking questions and we were having a conversation and, you know, asked some questions. And I was just like, that makes me really uncomfortable. And that was a way for me to like be real with my anxiety in the moment. I hope that maybe that's a way. I don't think that was a great example in high school, but <laughs> you clearly haven't been in high school in a while. Yeah. It, it's been a while since high school. Um, they study Star Wars in high school now. <laughs> <laughs> with, with change, it's practicing that, that mindfulness again, that like, okay, I feel this feel super uncomfortable. I don't want it to be this way, but this is what it is right now. Before going on the show, I did not enjoy travel. Like traveling on planes gave me anxiety. Like being in public places gave me anxiety. I didn't like being in like places with big groups of people because that gave me anxiety. And even when I moved to Seattle, actually, and then once I was single, that whole summer, I'd say maybe six months before going on the show, like I so- socialized so much. And I just tried to put myself out there and say, I'm going to 
embrace this anxiety and I'm going to embrace the change and put myself out there in new environments in order to actually be present in my own self-development and personal growth. And I think that to our writer who's struggling with how she's being perceived by others and embracing change in new situations, that's a very relevant thing that like she's already kind of in that mindset, even just writing in and asking about those kinds of things. Even if you're just listening to this podcast, I think you're already kind of in that mode of like, how can I work on my self-development and how do, how do I actually practice that in real life? And let me tell you, we are all on quite a freaking ride together of life and of trying (laughs) to like put ourselves in situations sometimes and finding ourselves in situations sometimes where we have to sit with that anxiety and to work through it and to figure out like, how do we deal with this right now? I love that you, you talked about living on the edge of change, knowing that change was going to happen anyway. Yeah. So trying to, on purpose, put yourself in positions where there's a little change so you can get familiar with dealing with that, even in, even if it's in little doses, mm-hmm. tackling those things kind of one situation at a time, but doing it on purpose instead of just waiting for it to like come at you. Yeah, because if I waited until it came at me, then I'd feel like I was hiding from it and that I was letting it control my life. Whereas a lot of the anxiety that I felt came from a lack of control. And that if I could control my anxiety, if I could say, okay, I'm going to go do this trip. Like I'm, I'm going to go on this really awkward date (laughs) that I had some kind of say in that. And that made me feel empowered in my own journey of personal development you know, we're, we're talking about anxiety and she's saying, you know, I'm living on and off with anxiety. And there's a difference between feeling anxiety and having an anxiety disorder. And I kind of wanted us to distinguish those. Okay. I think so we haven't really talked much about what the DSM is, but the DSM is the diagnostic statistical manual. It's a medical model for diagnosing mental health disorders. That was a lot of words. It's not as scary as it sounds, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> so, All right, you just put on your therapy pants. That's good. There That's are good. three different anxiety, anxiety disorders, specific phobias, panic disorder, and generalized anxiety disorder. And the generalized anxiety disorder is the one I kind of want to explain a little bit here because we all feel anxiety on some kind of a spectrum. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we have generalized anxiety disorder. When it shifts from just feeling anxiety to actually being a disorder, it's something that persists at least six months, more days than not. It's extremely difficult to control. You have this excessive anxiety and worry. It may be that you're very restless. You might feel easily fatigued. You could have difficulty concentrating. I know that was always like me in school. Like, again, I felt a lot of difficulty concentrating, but I wouldn't have diagnosed myself (laughs) and I wasn't diagnosed by a therapist with generalized anxiety disorder. So just having like one of these things does not mean that you have the disorder. There's several different kind of symptoms. And when you actually become diagnosed with something is when you have at least three of them persisting more days than not for at least six months. So the restlessness, the easily fatigue, difficulty concentrating, uh, some irritability, perhaps some muscle tension, uh, and also sleep disturbance. So like you can kind of tell that it's, it's a little bit more intense. And at times our anxiety does feel so intense, but it often fades. And being diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder is very treatable, you know, just how anxiety as a feeling itself passes and is something we can learn to cope with. It is as well when you are diagnosed with it. I have some general Kit Bender thoughts on anxiety. Mm -hmm. 
I've never been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Anxiety is something that I've experienced like all people, but never in a really extreme way. But I was trying to find the best way for my my brain to understand it. And I'm going to actually bring us back to what I talked about in a previous episode about how uh, our bodies as humans have been around for a long time and they have all the same chemicals in them now as they did when we basically lived in the wild. And so we have a lot of potential things that can flood our brain that we don't have to experience in day-to-day life because most of us live comfortable lives where we're not about to get attacked by a bear. Mm -hmm. Thank God. But I think sometimes something happens in life where, you know, the valve that turns all of those things on turns and all of a sudden we're, we're flooded with that. And the way I was thinking of it is like a fire hose where there's a fire and at some point, our brain is like, oh, we got to put out this fire, and it just turns all the way on, and you got this fire hose, it, which is full of water, and it puts out the fire. But, you know, the, you, if you can imagine those fire hoses used by the, by the firemen, or it's just a giant hose, and you can imagine yourself on the end of it, sometimes if there's a lot of water coming out of it, that hose is really, really powerful. And sometimes we can f- maybe forget the source of the thing that was like, triggering that thing and we just get caught up just trying to maintain control over this flood of things of emotions that are coming into our reality and i think we have a couple options of what to do with this excessive amount of water i think the first thing we can do is we could look for more fires we can get caught in maybe that trap of we've got all this water and we successfully put out one fire and so we start saying oh the hose is still going I need to maybe just look for other fires. And I think that's when we get in ourselves into situations where we create drama just because we're like, I have all this tension and I got to have somewhere to put it. And so we create a dramatic situation in order to release it. I don't think that's the healthiest way. I think that another thing that can happen is we maybe get drowned in it where we, we, we feel like, oh, no, we don't have any control over this. And anymore. that's where like you, you always have control over how you deal with what you're feeling. You may not have any control over what someone else does or what the environment does, but you always have control over how you respond. But sometimes it just feels out of control. But I think the point that we want to get to is we want to get back to the place where the hose is connected to the fire hydrant, say, and we want to to be able to turn it off. Mm -hmm. We don't want that to be a thing that's constantly on because then we're either going to be looking for fires and maybe creating fires where they don't exist or Mm -hmm. we're going to be drowning in all this excessive energy that's, that's going. So we need to find a way ultimately to turn that off or at least turn it down. Not letting it drive in the front seat. Yeah, and I think there's lots of ways to do that. Maybe sometimes... It feels like, you know, we've flooded the whole town and then we have to hold our breath and dive underwater in order to to -hmm. turn this out. And it can feel like a really, really, because often it is, uh, you know, a very, very pressing situation. But that may be where we need to find ways to just pinch the hose a little bit and just stop that flow of water for just a minute so that we can find the source. And that's where we get into things like Mm -hmm. finding a meditative practice or, um, mm-hmm. or some kind of therapy or some kind of medication or some way to be like, okay, hold up. We don't have to drown. We don't have to find other fires. We can dig a little deeper, maybe find the source of this and then find a way to just slowly turn that off so that we're not a, a victim and just reacting to this thing, mm-hmm. but we're able to... To actually respond thoughtfully. Yeah, because a fire does come and we, gotta, we, we have to be able to rise to the occasion, but... Mm-hmm. We don't want to get caught in it and we don't want it to become the thing yeah. that's like, you know, we're just flapping on the end of this mm-hmm. wild fire yeah. hose. Yeah, like you know there are certain steps that you can take to cope with putting out a fire. Right. Sometimes it's stop, drop, and roll if you're on fire. <laughs> but hopefully that's not the case and hopefully you're just observing the fire right. and working on putting it out. So you know, you know, okay, find the nearest fire hydrant or I'm going to dial 911 or uh, I need to find some water. Uh, We know that that there are many different steps we can take to actually take care of the fire as opposed to just jumping on it to put it out. (laughs) So again, like with dealing with your anxiety, you know, there are many different ways to cope with it as opposed to just letting it 
consume you or finding yourself out of control helplessly drowning in this anxiety. This episode and our previous episode on self-compassion are very much related where I found that a very strong coping skill for anxiety for me, especially with my experience on The Bachelor, was practicing self-compassion. And it's something that goes along with the humanitis piece that we talked about in episode two. When we practice that self-compassion, we we acknowledge that, you know, yeah, we're feeling anxiety and, and we suffer with it, but then we're kind to ourselves and and then we're able to move through the anxiety more when we when we practice it through or, or when we cope with it through a lens of self-compassion. Right. Instead of a lens of of judgment. Yes. And I mean, I'll reflect a little bit on my experience from the show and, you know, maybe for some of the girls, if any of them end up listening to this, but when you have that spotlight effect and you're judging yourself, how America's judging you with every little thing that you do and how you dressed and how you acted and what you said and comparing yourself to all these other girls that you practice that kindness to yourself that like, look, you were in this really weird environment. Like you kind of got to cut yourself a break here. Like one thing I had to keep telling myself over and over was, you know what? You did the best you could. You did the best you could with what you had and what you thought was right at the time. And you have to stand by that. You have to stand by yourself. Like, you know, you got to be on your own team kind of when you practice that self-compassion and being kind to yourself and and knowing that you're not you're not the only person that's ever like said something a little bit silly on TV. <laughs> you know, right. like you're not the first you're not the first person and you're not going to be the last, even though you may feel incredibly alone in that anxiety or in, you know, struggling with that judgment that you are so not alone. You might think you are and it might feel like you are, but I hope that you can, you know, kind of speak to yourself and remind yourself that you really are not alone and you can reach out. And that's where like social support becomes a huge, huge piece of coping with anxiety. You know, again, silence feeds shame. And the more we talk about it, the less shame we feel about it and the less shame takes over how we feel about ourselves. So, you know, one thing for me, like with the show, I would try to make sure I was talking to the girls that like at least once a day, (laughs) you know, I mean, we had like 25 plus girls to, you know, source from plus people from past seasons to reach out to, you know, there's always someone you can talk to. And like how you said the other episode, Kit, it may not feel like there's anyone, but oftentimes those people will find a way into your life and that someone will be there at the right moment when you need them. Yeah. And when you're open to it, when you're open to it, when you're, yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. I I love that you, uh, I love that you said be on your own team. So much of what we talk about comes back to that is like, it it all really starts Mm -hmm. with how you look at yourself and how you talk to yourself. Yeah. Even when we say treat yourself like you would treat your best friend, like with that kind of respect, Mm -hmm. you don't say awful things to them. Partially because Mm -hmm. you respect them and so respect yourself that much like you would a teammate. Yeah, and same with, you know, the girl who wrote us the letter today, you know, about feeling anxious about how she's perceived by others. Take a look. Where is that worry coming from? How do you perceive yourself? Right. And uh, actually, I said I really wasn't going to share from my journal, but this literally... (laughs) is bringing up so much um i wrote okay so this was like after some interviews again a few days before the show actually started uh i said i have people who believe in me and think very highly of me that feels good some pressure but mostly wonderful it brings out that voice of confidence inside of me i do love myself I am ready to find someone to share my love with, and I'm ready to accept someone else's love. This is so much to take in, but I am feeling relatively calm and at ease with it all. It feels good to be here. It feels good to be seen, to be believed in, to be heard, and to be accepted for who I am. I'm going to really take advantage of my time here and be present with each moment, to be me. I think I struggle with seeing myself from other people's perspective. They say I'm so grounded, and am I nervous? 
Well, of course. I can be grounded and nervous. It's so weird to see how people are taken aback from me. It makes me take a step back and have that moment of, I am me. I am enough. I am better than enough. I hope that my partner will see that in me. I want this confidence I have now to follow me throughout this experience. I can feel myself missing music and feeling anxious about not being outside. (laughs) So the middle part of that makes me kind of sad, but the end of it makes me laugh. Like I love music and I was, you know, didn't have any music and really, really, really wanted to be outside. (laughs) Enough to, to fake a smoke break. Yeah, exactly. But... I had to really practice self-compassion and perspective in any situation that I was judging myself in. You know, going back to like the, you did the best you freaking could. And again, you have to be on your own team, like, especially if you're dating and wanting to like find a relationship. Like if you're not going to be on your own team, how could you possibly expect your partner to then want to be on your team? Right. And that's what a relationship is all about. It's about being each other's teammates. So this reminds me of something someone told me many, many years ago, which has always been a good thing that's been bouncing around in my head. And that is that the universe is always on your side. That was a thing that was just important for me to remember when things weren't going the way that I expected them to. To remember that no matter what was happening, that things were always in the process of working out, even when they didn't seem it. And that the things that were happening were always, if I was able to look for it and and find it, to work to my advantage and to work towards my growth and to work towards my healing. Even if you look back at all the anxiety you felt going into the show, there's a part of you now that is thankful maybe if if you would have won The Bachelor, then everything else in your life would have been completely different. It always kind of irritates me when people say won The Bachelor because it makes me go back to that like competition thing, you know? Like if you if I would have found love on The Bachelor, yeah, my life would be very different. And like we have to have a certain level of, you know, appreciation for how we got to where we are in life and being, you know, grateful for that. And and like I said earlier, through struggle comes strength. And in a way we have to be kind of appreciative and thankful for the struggles that we do have because those are the really powerful, magical moments where you change and you grow and you blossom. And it's, it's, those are, those are the stories that people love hearing. You know, those are the movies we love watching over and over again, or when people really persevere through tough times and they they come out of something and, you know, it sucks when you're in it, but you got to just move through it. The last thing I kind of want to, that's was brought up from tonight's episode. One of the girls, when she was talking to him, started to ask him, you know, this thoughtful, meaningful question to get to know him better and immediately started second guessing herself and said, oh, you know, I'm sorry. I mean, like, I'm not trying to like therapatize you. First of all, I don't think therapatize is a word, right. I was but just gonna ask, we're making it one. <laughs> I get what I get where you're going, yeah. so it's totally a word. I know she's super anxious, like she's probably a little freaked out. Like there's camera filming her, like she know doesn't know this dude and is supposed to like try to form a connection with him. And I get it, but just the fact that she felt like she was trying to ask that, and he might interpret that as her trying to like be his therapist, but then also that's a bad thing. And I'm sorry, that's not what I'm trying to do was like, oh man, again, like the freaking stigma associated with that. You can ask a thoughtful, meaningful question to try to get to know someone and it not be you trying to psychoanalyze or therapize them. And if you have that background, like me using that, to try to get to know someone a little bit more is not necessarily a negative thing. And it does make people feel so uncomfortable. And and that's what I think she was worried about in that moment that like, oh, I'm going to make him feel uncomfortable and maybe I'm going to intimidate him because I'm using my brain and I'm asking him a question and, oh, sorry, sorry. No, that's not what I'm trying to do. Like, you need to own that and like be proud of that. Well, because, you know, digging into those layers that are a few levels deep, I think is 
one of the beautiful things about getting into a new relationship. I mean, I hope therapatize maybe becomes a thing and you know <laughs> we just naturally start therapatizing our friendships because that means we're using critical listening skills and you know really trying to actually get to know one another and work on establishing a, some kind of connection so I think that's a great thing <laughs> well also I think because therapy in general it's not a place where you just sit and get advice. Exactly. And, and often what we like to do is give advice to our friends and tell them all the things mm-hmm. that we think that they should do. Mm-hmm. And then we think, oh, this person should go be a therapist because they give great advice. I'm sorry to say that is not what a therapist does. Actually, learning to be a good therapist or a friendapist is learning how to mm-hmm. listen, learning how to yes. how to, to ask the right questions. Yeah, well, and it's it's... It's helping people learn to help themselves. If you want advice, that's more of something that like a life coach would do. I just really hope that if any of you watched, you know, The Bachelor premiere tonight and watched that little interaction that, you know, if you've ever had an experience like that where you feel like you've started to kind of go a little deep and want to ask someone something and then second guessed it and become became fearful that they thought you might be trying to be a therapist to them. Just try to go with it and see their reaction before you second guess yourself because it could actually lead to a great connection and it could cause them to open up and share something and then you to open up and share something and could be a really great interaction. The takeaway for today's episode is to really take a look at that anxiety in a few different ways, mainfully through practicing mindfulness. First, asking yourself, when you start to feel that rush of anxiety, ask yourself, where am I feeling this? Where is this anxiety coming from? Is it in your palms, like Kit's earlier in the episode? (laughs) Are you feeling it in your sweaty palms? Are you feeling it in your stomach? Does it feel like your stomach is sinking? Uh, does it feel like in your throat, like your throat's kind of closing, you know, get, get kind of in touch with your body and feel where is this anxiety coming up for me? Then maybe take a step and say, what is this trigger? What is triggering this? You know, is it being triggered by how I'm, how others are perceiving me like a writer or a new situation that I'm in, or is it something more internal that's coming up? Then to kind of move through that, to practice some deep breathing exercises. So maybe five deep breaths in through the stomach, and then maybe five deep breaths in and out through the chest. And you'll kind of notice the difference there. I used to hear people say that all the time. And I was like, it's just me breathing. What do you mean through my stomach or through my chest? And by through, you mean breathing and then feeling it go in, like by pushing out your stomach or by by expanding your chest, like feeling where the breath is moving into your body. Yes, exactly. And I think that's that's an important thing for each step. Cover mm-hmm. the whole thing with mindful breath. That is step number one in mindfulness, which is just awareness, the ability to put yourself in the role of observer. The first step is to become the observer of the breath. And then once you do that, then you can start observing the thoughts and observing the patterns and observing the situations and observing your reactions to them. And then, like you said, I can move towards observing where I feel this in my body. I feel it in my shoulders often when I'm feeling a little anxious about something. I'll tense up my shoulders. Yeah, and so then maybe that's the area of your body you focus on through your breaths. Right, I breathe into that into that part of my body. Yeah, feeling the rise in your shoulders as you breathe and you know, leaning kind of into that area of anxiety. And again, kind of through your breaths and through this mindfulness and through practicing the awareness of the anxiety in your body. Also then taking a look at what that self-talk is. What kind of mantra can you say to yourself throughout these breaths? Maybe it's, you will be okay. You are enough. Well, I think another way to, to recognize that we're not alone is to simply do something like go to YouTube and type in meditation for anxiety 
Or, I mean, there's, there's places all over. There's apps. I've used Headspace quite a bit lately, almost every day. It's, it's been really fantastic. Headspace is my favorite. I would always recommend that to clients. Yeah, it's a really, really great app. Yeah, it feels very like unreachable sometimes. I didn't know how the heck you practice it. It felt very woo-woo to me. And Headspace was actually the app that like put it, put it out there for me to actually be able to practice that and relax melodies. Uh, I used, you know, the different meditations on that app to, you know, kind of sit with myself and focus on my body and focus on my breathing. And, and it really helps actually relax me before sleep. I think exercise is another, another great one because you can use that to focus on the breath, even if it's just a walk or a run or something that you can, you can tune into that exact thing that you're doing there and then use that space to park the car and make sure that the right thing is driving it. Going back to our first episode. And we just kind of touched the surface here on anxiety with covering it from the first episode of this new season of The Bachelor, but there's obviously much, much more we could discuss with anxiety, but this will do it for today's episode. Uh, Hopefully you guys can practice some of these takeaways over the week and connect with us on Instagram at let's talk about it underscore podcast or shoot us an email at ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tamoka. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. It's our first episode with the new season of The Bachelor. So hope you guys keep tuning in. Some weeks we'll talk about the show. Some weeks we'll keep talking about some mental health stuff. But either way, contact us online, on social media. And we look forward to talking with you guys next week. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.